It was last weekend. A lot of good stuff happened last weekend. A lot of cool stuff. A lot of hard stuff. A lot of people working through lots of stuff. By the way, I want you to know that at Hope, um, we actually have some resources that can help you uh, as you're working through in this series, as things are coming up to the surface of your life, like you got to deal with before you can move forward. Uh, For example, uh, Celebrate Recovery. It meets here every Tuesday night at 6.30. If you're dealing with any kind of addiction, it could be alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling. I mean, you may be hopelessly addicted to following the University of North Carolina, and you can't, you know, you can't get over it, and we can help you with that. You know, there is hope. And so that's every Tuesday night at 6.30, uh, Restored. When you got a lot of baggage and hurt in your past, how do you leave it behind and move forward? A lot of you said, you know, I forgave it. I don't feel any different. And it's because you still got work to do. And uh, Restored meets here every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Marriage matters. Maybe things have bubbled to the surface of your marriage. Like, okay, we got to deal with this stuff. We can't keep pretending it doesn't exist. And uh, it meets every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. All of those right here at the Raleigh campus. I'd really encourage you to check those things out and... Uh, and see what God has in store for you. Now, if you've been around church for a while as Christians, we've all heard it said that we're supposed to love the sinner and hate the... Yeah, let's say that one more time. Maybe I forgot this is hope. Most of you have really never been to church. Listen, you... So, okay, let's do that one more time. As Christians, we're supposed to love the sinner and hate the... Okay, good. And uh, I have found that that's pretty easy to do, to be honest with you, as long as I'm not emotionally or relationally somehow connected to the person who's actually doing the sinning, okay? Who's doing the best. Or or, uh, whatever they're doing, it hasn't actually touched or impacted my life. I'll give you an example. I was at the gym one day, and a lady walked up to me. I have never seen her in my life, and I'm pretty sure she'd never seen me because she walked up, and she says, are you a minister? Someone told me you were a minister. And I said, why? Do I look angry? And no, I didn't say that. And I said, I said, yes, I'm a minister. And she just to a perfect stranger, she began to pour out her life, how they were Christians and how her husband cheated on her and how it has just been devastating, how it's wreaking havoc in the children's lives and the impact it's having. And probably for about 15 minutes, you know, she just kind of unloaded and told me her whole story. And, and you know, it's, it's pretty easy when you're not really connected. I've never seen her before. I don't know if I've ever seen her since. I've never met her husband. I don't know her kids. So I'm not, I don't have anything emotionally, uh, no stake in, in that whole thing. And so it's pretty easy in a situation like that because there's really no skin off my back. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, but that's kind of the way you feel. And it's pretty easy to say, well, you know what? I think you ought to love him where he is and encourage him to grow in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And then go back and do the bench press. I mean, it's kind of, you know, because hey, that's one thing. But how do you handle it when it is someone that you're in a relationship with? You know, uh, maybe your best friend or, or maybe a family member. How do you handle it when someone, you know, maybe it's your spouse or your child. What do you do when, when they sin and fall off the wagon, right? How do you handle it when they get involved in a lifestyle that now touches your life? How do you handle it when they do something that not only costs you some time, it's going to cost you some money? I mean, you got a stake in this game. My guess is you handle it the same way I do. We, we, feel it, we, we feel it suddenly like we've got to do something. We've got to take some kind of action. Maybe we've got to convict them of something. Maybe we've got to point something out in their life. Maybe somehow we've got to get involved. We've got to punish them. After all, if we don't do something, the person's just going to think everything's okay. The person's going to think there's really no consequences to their sin. There's no consequences uh, to the behavior. I mean, you know, if you just love them where they are, they're going to think you condone everything and you kind of accept and, and approve of their behavior. I mean, let's be honest. It's, le- it's easy to love the sinner and hate the sin when you don't know the sinner 
or when it doesn't somehow touch your life. But I got to tell you this, when it does touch your life, when it's someone that you're relationally and emotionally connected to, I'm telling you, we're flooded with all kinds of emotions. Sometimes we feel anger. Sometimes we feel disappointment. Sometimes we feel frustration or grief and sorrow. We feel all sorts of things. And the tendency for those of us who have been around church all of our lives, you know, we've been Christians for a while, the tendency is, is to grab our Bible, find a verse, go charging into that relationship, go charging into that situation and say, see, right, it says right here in the Bible, what you did is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. Or if you're a parent and, it, it, you know, you'll say to your child, hey, don't you remember? And you'll remind your kid of some principle that you tried to instill in them as they were going. Don't you remember? You know, and you'll, you'll harp on that for a while. Or if you're a child and it's your parent that screwed up, you'll remind them of that principle. Say, don't you remember when I was growing up? This is what you used to tell me all the time. And you kind of you throw it up in their face and say, don't you remember? My point is this. When it's someone that we're emotionally connected to, someone that we're in a relationship with, they make a bad choice, they make a bad decision, they make a bad sin. I got to tell you, it's never an emotionally neutral environment. So what happens is, is we walk into this emotionally charged situation because we don't know anything else to do. We quote the Bible. We say things like, you need to change. Don't you remember? Don't you know? Don't you care? Right? I mean, let's be honest. With all the emotions swirling around, sometimes it's actually really hard to love the sinner and hate the sin. In fact, for many of us, it's just a lot easier to hate the sinner too, right? Now, the great news is that God's word addresses this tension. And this week, we're going to look at a section of scripture, a section of the Bible. Maybe you've looked at before, maybe you've never looked at before. But in this section, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, he answers this question. What do you do when someone you love? Someone you're in a relationship with. Someone you're emotionally connected to. What do you do when someone you love chooses behavior that you consider to be wrong? Or they make a bad decision that hurts you financially or maybe relationally. Or maybe they do something that hurts your reputation. You know, how do you handle that situation without actually making the situation worse? So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. As you're turning, let me just say this. Uh, originally, uh, the, the, the book of Galatians wasn't written to be a book in the Bible. It was originally a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a small group of uh, Christians in the church in Galatia. And we're not exactly sure what's going on. They had a lot of struggles in that church, and there was a lot of struggle with legalism and people coming up with different ways, you know, thinking you could be saved, but you had to follow the law of Moses with a little bit of what Jesus did. All kinds of things were going on there. But when we get to what we have as chapter 6, he addresses something, and he begins chapter 6, verse 1, by saying this, brothers and sisters. So right away, we know he's, this, again, this is, this is information for Christians. If you're here this weekend and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're still kind of just kicking the tires, you're checking out Christianity, it's not for you. You're kind of off the hook back this weekend, so kind of sit back, back and relax, right? But Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and understand when Paul says caught in a sin, he, he doesn't mean you walked into the bedroom and you caught him in the act. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's, this word caught refers to someone who's entangled. We would say maybe ensnared. Maybe they have an addiction that's not easily broken. They're, a better term would be they're caught up in a sin. So let's look at it that way. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught up in a sin, you who live by the Spirit. And, and this is not some sappy term that Paul uses for the spiritual elite. He's talking about any Christian who's committed to living the Christian life, right? He's talking about the average Christian who's just trying to get it right. 
You know, you're just trying to be obedient to God's principles, his precepts. You're trying to apply them to your life. You're trying to get up every day and just walk through the power of the Holy Spirit so you can be what God wants you to be. It's just a simple Christian trying to get it right. So Paul basically says this. When someone you know, someone you're in a relationship with, they're caught up in a sin, those of you who aren't caught up in that sin, verse 1, should restore that person. Now, he doesn't say ignore that person. He doesn't say you should judge that person. He doesn't even say you should punish that person. He doesn't say any of that. But I can promise you this. If you're in a relationship with someone and they've chosen a lifestyle or they've made a decision that's hurt you, I can promise you, you've had an emotion that made you either want to stand back and judge them or walk away and just ignore them or get involved and somehow punish them. Do you know why? It's because, as I said earlier, when it's someone you're in a relationship with, there's an emotional connection. It is an emotionally charged environment. And this is what happens when we get hurt that way. It brings stuff to the surface of our lives we didn't even know was in our life. So Paul, he adds this little word at the end of verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, why did Paul add this word gently? I think it's because he knows as Christians, <laughs> it's our nature to charge into that relationship like a bull in a china shop and say, I'm right, you're wrong. In fact, God's got my back on this one. It's God and me against you right now. And we've all had those conversations, especially if you're a parent and especially if you've had teenagers. I mean, you just kind of had those come to Jesus conversations. So Paul reminds us when someone hurts us, when someone falls into sin, he reminds us the agenda isn't to punish them. The agenda isn't to ignore them. It's not to judge them. The agenda is to restore them. And Paul says you've got to put the emotional brakes on and you've got to do it gently. You've got to do it humbly. Do you know why? It's because one of the experiences that we experience when someone close to us does something wrong is anger. You know why you're angry? You're angry because they're not doing what you think they ought to do. You're angry because they're not doing what you raised them to do. You're angry because they're not doing what you thought they would do if they ever found themselves in that situation. I mean, they're coloring outside the line. They're being disobedient. They're not acting right. And it just flat ticks you off. It makes you angry. And if you've been a Christian a long time and you've learned the system, this is what you'll say. I'm not angry because they're not doing what I don't want them to do. I'm angry because they're not doing what God wants them to do. Right? Liar. <laughs> Liar. And do you know how I know you're lying? Look at the anger. <laughs> Look at the righteous indignation that surfaces in you when someone else sins, but look at the anger that surfaces in you when you sin. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't it a lot easier to, to get the whole self-righteous thing going when it's someone else that disobeys, when it's someone else that mistreats us? Sure it is. That's why Paul says when someone that you're in a relationship with hurts you, whether it's a child or a spouse or a parent or a roommate or, or a neighbor, Paul says you got to understand as Christians, the goal is always restoration. That's the target. That's the destination. And he says when you approach, when you go in, you got to go in gently. Then he goes on in verse 1. If someone is caught in a sin, caught up in a sin, entangled and snared, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, look at this next phrase, but watch yourselves. And we're like, what? why do I need to watch myself? 
I mean, it's, it's me, God, and the Holy Spirit. I'm bringing the A team. They're the ones that ought to be watching out, you know, you know what I'm saying? Verse 1, watch yourself or you also may be tempted. This word watch means to examine. And here's the thing. Once again, Paul, he doesn't focus on the sinner. He doesn't focus on the person who's hurt us and made us so angry. He puts the focus back on us, and that bothers us because we're thinking, wait a second, I'm not the one that's wrong. It's my son that's wrong. I'm not the one that's wrong. It's my spouse that's wrong. It's my roommate that's wrong. It's my neighbor that's wrong. It's my friend. So Paul says, well, you got to be careful. You got to remember that the goal is restoration. And if you don't go in gently, and if you don't go in examining yourself, you won't restore. You'll judge. You'll ignore, you'll punish, you'll quote the Bible, and you'll be right, but you will not restore. And if you don't restore, regardless of what else happens, you failed. You failed. By the way, what does Paul mean when he says, examine yourself so you won't be tempted? Growing up, I thought it meant, be careful so that you don't fall into the same sin that they're in, right? I thought it meant, if you got a, if you got a friend and they got a drinking problem, uh, you're driving home one night and you go by Lucy's bar and you see, you see his truck, so you go in, and there he is sitting at the bar, you know, and you're like, man, you really shouldn't be in here, but you don't want them to feel like you're judging them, so you think, well, let me have a beer, so I'll fit in with them, you know. And you have one beer, and you have another beer, and before you know it, you know, you're hanging on each other, and you're crying and singing show tunes together, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're just both wasted. I thought Paul was saying, be really, really careful, because if you try to help them, you might end up where they are, right? He's not talking about that. He's saying this. He's saying when someone hurts us that we're in a relationship with, it brings all kinds of crud up to the surface of our lives. And you have to be careful about that. For example, we know that anger shows up, but what else shows up in the surface of our life? Pride. Pride. Pride sounds like this. I can't believe you would treat your own dad that way. That's pride. I can't believe you treat your own mom that way. I can't believe you would put me at risk that way. I can't believe you would be so insensitive to me. I can't believe, believe, believe the way you're treating me, but it's me, 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 me. Forget about you. It's all about me right now. Paul says, man, you better watch yourself. Because when you're hurt, even when they're wrong, he says there's some ugly stuff in you that's going to serve. And if you act on pride, you're going to fall. Because pride's a sin too. You know what else surfaces? Insecurity fear. Insecurity sounds like this. What are people going to say when they find out my daughter is pregnant? What are people going to say when they find out my son has a drug problem? What are people going to say when they find out my spouse cheated, right? Insecurity, fear begins to surface to the, to the surface, comes to the surface of our life. Stuff we didn't even know that we have. So Paul says, listen, when you go in, you better go in gently and you'd better watch out because if you respond out of anger, you respond out of pride, you, you respond out of insecurity and fear, you're gonna handle it the wrong way and you're gonna fall. You're gonna fall. So Paul says, instead, you, man, you, you gotta step back. You gotta gear down. You gotta take a deep breath. You may be right, and the other person may clearly be wrong. You may have every reason in the world to be hurt. But remember, before you go charging in, remember the goal is restoring that person back to their heavenly father. And if you don't first deal with what surfaces in your own life, you may ignore and you may judge and punish, but you won't make any progress toward restoration. In fact, I think Paul's teaching this. When you respond out of anger and pride and insecurity, You'll do more damage than you will good. You'll actually drive that person further away into their sin, further away from their heavenly father. 
And then Paul continues by giving us the how-to of restoration, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. You know what it means in the Greek? It means get up under their burden with them. Now, let me explain what this means because <laughs> it is extremely convicting. Paul says basically you restore. You, you restore by, by getting up under, by taking on yourself, by getting up under the burden of that person, the complications and the consequences that have been caused by their sin. You get up under with them the complications and the consequences caused by their behavior, by their actions, to which we hear that and respond, yeah, Paul, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, after all, Paul, I got my own life, and I got my own family, and I got my own financial problems. You're telling me that this, this person who is supposed to love me, this person that I'm supposed to be in a relationship with, this person, this bozo, messes up, complicates my life, and I'm supposed to walk back into the situation and say, hey, let me help you. Let me get up under the burden of the complications and the consequences of your sin with you. But look at the rest of verse 2. And in this way, you fulfill the law of who? You fulfill the law of who? You fulfill the law of Christ. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying this. He says, you've been hurt. You've been offended. Someone sinned against you. Someone blew up your relationship. He's saying this. Remember, remember, remember. While you were still a sinner, Jesus didn't punish you. While you were still a sinner, he didn't judge you or ignore you. While you were still a sinner, Jesus got up under the consequences and the complications of your sin, and he loved you unconditionally. And then before he died, he said this, I want you to go into the world, and I want you to love other people as I have loved you. I even want you to love your enemy. See, now it's come full circle. Why did he say that? Why did he say love our enemies? Because he, Jesus knows that's how you restore. It's when you and I are willing to take on the consequences, the, the, the complications caused by the sin of the person who hurt us. We, we're willing to say, okay, let me get up under this burden with you. Let's carry this together. You know why we can't do that? <laughs> it's because we're so angry. It's because we're so hurt. I mean, we are so ticked off. It's because it, it's dredged up all of this fear, all of this insecurity in our own lives. I mean, we're dealing with our own tangled web of emotions, right? So Paul says, if you don't deal with the crud that comes to the surface in your own life, when you charge into that situation to deal with this person, you're going to actually push them further away. You may even push them further into their own sin, and you will, you'll never restore them. And you won't grow, they won't grow, it's just going to be a big mess. So understand this, Christians. Restoration doesn't happen. It's not going to happen by sitting around quoting the Bible. It's not going to happen by drawing a hard line in the sand. It's not going to happen by giving ultimatums. The only way it's going to happen is by being willing to get up under the consequences and complications caused by their sin. And as if that wasn't enough, Paul adds in verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? This is what it means. If when that person offends you, hurts you, sins against you, Paul says, 
If there's anything in you that rises up to the surface and says, there is no way I am going to do that, not after what they've done to me, Paul says, understand, if that's where you are, then you are guilty of leading your own mind astray because somehow you've come to the faulty conclusion that you're actually better than that person. And the reason you've come to that conclusion is because you've forgotten where you came from. You've forgotten what your life was like, and because of that, you've deceived yourself. In other words, somewhere along the way, you've actually forgotten what Jesus did for you. Somewhere along the way, you've convinced yourself, I am now so spiritual, I'm above all that. Somewhere along the way, you convinced yourself, I would never do that. I would never get into that situation. And Paul says, as long as you feel that way, one, you've deceived yourself, and you are absolutely worthless to God when it comes to the ministry of reconciliation. I don't know about you, but isn't that convicting? By the way, this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7. This is a familiar passage. Remember, it begins, judge not lest you be judged. Every person in the world knows that verse. I don't care if you've never been to church in your life. Everybody, whoa, whoa, judge not lest you be judged. We all know that. But let's look at what else it says, verse 3. Jesus said this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You know how we interpret that? We interpret it, mind your own business. You have no business talking to anybody else about what's going on in their life because you got so mess going on in your own. Just deal with your own life. Leave everybody else alone. That's not what Jesus is saying. In reality, Jesus is saying the very same thing in Matthew chapter 7 that Paul is teaching us in in Galatians chapter 6. He's saying this. when When you're aware of something that's going on in someone else's life, right? Chances are it's going to remind you of some shortcoming, some failing in your own life. The goal isn't to ignore what's going on in your own life. The goal is to say, oh yeah, I need to take care of what's going on in my life, so now I'm freed up to help the other person with what's going on in their life. See, that's why Jesus concludes in verse 5. And then, once you deal with yourself, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Paul says, when someone sins and hurts you, it's going to dredge up stuff like pride and insecurity and anger and fear. When that happens, let God deal with it in your own life. And once you've dealt with those things, then go alongside that person and get up under the burden of their sin and work toward restoration. But you got to deal with the stuff in your own life. And many of you did that last week. I got an email. This actually came from a staff person. She wrote me and she said, this, the service last week could not have been more timely. I was able to take time to reevaluate my relationship with my mom and make peace with our past. I left last week in feeling refreshed. Little did I know I would get a call on Wednesday telling me that she had had a traumatic accident and was on life support and I needed to come to Florida to make that final decision. Because of your message, I will say the goodbye to our, our drug-addicted mom who abandoned us at a young age And feel peace knowing that I have forgiven her and that she was the best mom she was able to be. I mean, can you really put a price on that? See, that's dealing with what was coming to the surface of her life so she could then say, Mom, let's have a conversation. By the way, when when Jesus was on this earth, he basically spent his time going around restoring people. You, 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 know, you do know that's what he did, right? Remember the story of the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman? 
in the first century, you know that the Jews hated the Samaritans, <laughs> and, and, and the Samaritans knew it. You know, Samaritans were Jews that had intermarried, and now they were considered half-breeds, and so they were living over here in Samaria. And if Jews wanted to go from uh, southern Judea to northern Judea, they would go all the way around Samaria. They would take the long way around because they didn't want to go through the middle, right? So that time Jesus got up in the morning and stretched and said, hey, guys, I think, I think we must go through Samaria. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking, ah, we must not. You know, I, no, we don't, we don't hang out with those kind of people. And Jesus says, yeah, I got an appointment, right? So Jesus walks up to this woman who's getting water at the well, and he gets into this conversation with her, and he knows all about her. She says, yeah, I know, I know. I know you've already been divorced five times, and the dude you're living with now, he's not even your husband. I mean, Jesus knew, like, hey, she's the village slut. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus knew all that, right? He didn't walk up and say, hey, you, get in the water. Don't you know that the law of Moses condemns your lifestyle? He doesn't do that. You know what he does? He says, ah, is it just me or is it hot today? You think I could have a drink of water? And she immediately notices, notices hey, this guy has nothing to draw water with. And she, she realizes the implication. This guy, this Jew, <laughs> is going to drink after me? Right? That's like you going and finding a homeless drunk after church and say, hey, can I have a swig off your bottle? You know, you know, I, I just, you know. That's what this woman's like. Are you serious? You, a Jew, me, a Samaritan, you'll drink after me? And if you, if you know the story, and if you don't, you can read about it in John chapter 4. He didn't judge her. He restored her. And she ran back to all of her family and friends and said, you got to meet this guy. Knew everything about me. Changed my life. One, another time, Jesus is walking around town, and he runs into a guy named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, first century scum of the earth, right? He was ripping off the Jews, his own people, giving the money to the Romans. And so Jesus saw Matthew, crossed the street, got right in his face, and said, you are a traitor and a thief. Nah. He said, hey, Matthew, right, I'm Jesus. Cool. What are you up to, Matthew? Oh, I'm just kind of ripping off my people. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Want to hang out with me and my men for a while? And Jesus restored him back to his heavenly father. And now we read his book all the time. We just looked at it in Matthew chapter 7. I want you to understand something. These weren't repentant people. These were people who were caught red-handed in their sin. And Jesus said, hey, you, let me get up under the complications and the consequences and the burden of your sin and let me help you. Our goal is always restoration. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from someone I didn't know saying, could you please meet with me for counseling? And I, I just, you know, I don't do counseling. I don't do it much anymore. I, I got a staff of over 120, 130 people, and it's, you know, the average church in America is 70 people. So I got a, a staff twice as big as the average church in America, and it takes all my time really just with dealing with those losers. And um, <laughs> I did, I'm just kidding. Incredible staff. But, you know, we have issues too. And... Uh, so I got an email and uh, didn't know her, but I, you know, every once in a while God's like, well, you need to take this one. So Sarah, my assistant, set up the, the appointment and she came in and um, the, the, the previous Sunday had been her first time at church. It was a weekend I talked about we're all creating the image of God, the likeness of God. We have the signature of God across our life. Everyone does, right? And she came and uh, she, a few weeks earlier, um, 
had had an abortion. And a uh, college student and um, her boyfriend had said, hey, you know, get the abortion and, and I'll, I'll split it with you and life will just go on. She thought life would just go on. But when, when, when she heard about every creature of God in the image of God, the likeness of God, it began to bring stuff to the surface of her life. And then it just got complicated when she discovered that her sister who was married was pregnant and how excited they were anticipating the birth of this child. And all of a sudden, she didn't know what to do with all this emotion, so she came in and I met with her and, and we talked and, you know, and I was, I was able to get her in touch. We have great Christian counselors that we send people to and one of, a great lady. And I, I referred to her. I said, you tell her I sent you. We'll pay for it. And, uh, and then she w- went on to tell me, oh, by the way, she says, to complicate matters, you know, my boyfriend who was in love with me and he, he goes to another college. I haven't heard anything back from him. You know, it's like, you're on your own type thing. And she said, literally, I, I had to take all the money I had. And she says, it's just, she's just, just, she just said, it's been a really, really hard time. So I had asked her, how could I help? And, and, and we got her hooked up with a counselor. So I walked her on down and we were upstairs in the fireside room. I walked her down, I walked her to the door. And what had happened the previous Sunday night was, as I was leaving after our vision night, someone came up to me and gave me a card and said, hey, here's a card. And of course, I'm so paranoid. I'm like, is it bad? Are you leaving, you know, the church? And they laughed and said, no, you'll, you'll, you'll know what to do with it. So we got in the car, and I'm driving home. About halfway home, I said, honey, what's in that card? And she opened the card. And it's from one of the business groups that uses our building during the week. They sent me a thank you card, signed it. And then it was five crisp $100 bills. And I had just kind of thrown it into a glove compartment of my truck and, and forgotten about it. And I thought, well, something will come up and some need and I'll be able to deal with it. And so as I got to the front door to say bye to her, it was as if God said, don't stop walking. So we walked out and I said, hey, follow me in my truck. And I was parked right outside. And I reached in and I got the card and I, I just, I said, I'm just curious, how, how, much, was, how much is an abortion? She said, $480. And I said, okay. So I pulled out the $500, and I said, I want you to take this. I want you to put it back in your bank account. I know you're a college student. You're barely making it. And I want you to remember that there's nothing that God cannot and will not forgive. And I want you to move from here forward with your life. And I want you to promise me you won't have anything else to do with that deadbeat boyfriend. I mean, like, you've seen his truth. Thank you, Mac. Yeah. I said, you've seen his true colors. Really? Is that a guy that you're going to be able to count on if you marry him and life gets hard? Really? And she cried. She said, I can't take it. I said, no, 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 you, you have to take it. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying that God is going to do some amazing things in your life. And I know right now some of you are like, I cannot believe you gave this. I mean, that's just encouraging abortions by doing, I mean, that, I mean, don't be stupid. I, what, I, what I was able to do was be, to be used by God to get up under the complications and consequences of her actions and say, now let's move forward. By the way, isn't that what Jesus did with us? I can just see Jesus sitting up in heaven looking down at us saying, man, what a mess. 
Hey, Father, anything I can do? Any way I can help? Well, yeah, now that you mention it, you, you could go down there and live among them and then die for them and pay for their sin so they can be reconciled back to me. And that's what he did. Jesus never said one time while he was on this earth, do you have any idea what your sin is costing me? He didn't do that, did he? He just said, can I help, you know? That's the first relational step toward restoration. Got a spouse that cheated on you? You got a kid that's gone prodigal? I'm telling you, a phone call or a conversation where it begins, how can I help? Let me leave you with three questions to ask yourself when someone hurts you or disappoints you. Here's the first one. Ask yourself, what am I feeling? Is it anger? Is it pride? Is it insecurity? Is it fear? What am I feeling? Here's the second question, and this is the big one. Is what I'm feeling appropriate? By the way, to be mad and angry at someone because they've sinned is an inappropriate feeling. To feel sorrow that they're ensnared. To be disappointed, that would be an appropriate feeling. But ask yourself, is what I'm feeling appropriate? And then third, how can I help? How can I help? And I'll just tell you, if you will allow God to work you through your anger and your fear and your insecurity, it will become clear what God wants you to do. It's really not that complicated. I mean, I'm going to tell you something, right? I'm no different than you. Um, I have spent most of my life manipulating, controlling, coercing, convincing the people that have gone prodigal in my life. Right? And a lot of them have come full circle and come back, and I praise God for that. But I just wonder how much shorter that journey would have been if I'd have had the attitude. Well, what can I do? You know. I, it, it, so it's not that complicated, and obviously you have no control over how the other person is going to respond, but just understand our, our responsibility is to be restorers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's where he's taken us. By the way, do you think that, you know, the only, the only people who have a worse, you know, approval rating than Congress are Christians. Society hates us. They got this perspective of us. Let me ask you a question. You think it would change the world's perspective? If instead of punishing and ignoring and judging, we spent more time coming alongside people who were hurting and needed to be restored and just simply asked, how can I help? You think it would change? Now, <laughs> here's the great thing about a message like this. I, I, I probably answered some questions, but I've, I've created many more. Questions like, well, wait a minute, Mike. What if the person doesn't want to be restored? What do we do about that? And here's the one. When does helping become enabling? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about next week, but you've got to come back. It's called a hook. It's called a hook. 
And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. What do you do when someone says, nope, it's my life, this is what I'm going to do? Get used to it. And then when does helping become enabling? And what do you do in those situations? Here's the cool news. God's got very clear teaching on it. So we'll see that next week. Let's pray. Father, oh, wow, give us courage we don't even know we have strength that we don't know where it's going to come from. It's going to come from you. It's going to come through your spirit living through us. But what if we walked out of here today, the people that we used to be in relationship that maybe turned their back on us, deceived us, abandoned us, maybe their life is spiraling down, it's going nowhere fast, and maybe we've contributed to that by the way we've treated them. We haven't exactly shown the love of Jesus Christ, let's be honest. I wonder how things would change if we just communicated to that person. How can I help? Just tell me, what can I do? What can I do? Because as we've learned, our goal is to restore first back into a relationship with you, and then if your grace sees fit, maybe back into a relationship with us but we're called to be restorers. And Father, it's not always clean and it's sometimes messy and I get all that, we get all that, but but this is what you've called us to do. Somehow give us the inner strength through your spirit and the courage to begin to move in that direction, to even be willing to restore our enemies. And the Just see how you're going to bless us and use us. And of course, even now, we'll give you the credit for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. If I haven't told you lately, I love you guys. I really do. Have a great week. I'll see you next weekend. You're dismissed.